French Studies with Amin Zidu is a podcast that engages with all areas of the subject, including language, culture, politics, and aspects of music, film, and other forms of cultural production. I'm Amin Zidou, and I teach at Bucknell around issues of social justice, urban segregation, social linguistics, and decolonial theory. I am Philippe Dubois, professor of French. My areas of interest include food politics and representations of gender. I was born in Casablanca, Morocco, a country that has a very rich and long multicultural history. Amazigh, Arabs, Jews, Romans, Sub-Saharan Africans, and of course, their languages, have all been in contact with its land. Morocco is also the first country to recognize the U.S. and is home to the oldest American public property outside of the United States. Tangier was for a while considered as an international zone, and Morocco had to deal with not only one colonizer, but two, namely France and Spain. And the effects of those colonial structures still continue to be felt today. So let's just say that from a very young age, I was in contact with many languages. And I not only know, but I also have lived the interplay between language and power. I come from a small town in northern France where I learned German when I was 11. While the many new German idioms sounded foreign to me at first, they also connected me to a larger history. The area where I grew up was heavily impacted during World War II. Then, at 14, I discovered a second foreign language, English, which was a complete revelation to me, as well as a revolution. English as a language connected me to a different type of history, a much more intimate one. As I progressed into my discovery of linguistic and cultural structures that were simultaneously foreign and familiar to me, I realized that English gave me tools outside of my native tongue, tools to articulate my own difference and to think of myself as queer. We're made of cells, we're made of the blood that courses through our veins. We're also made of ideas and of language. Here is how words make us. As a humanist, I would say very generally that language is a system of communication that produces meaning, and most importantly, a very useful tool that allows us to envision and even invent ourselves through words. These systems of representation can take on many different forms, photography, cinema, art in general, but also sports, advertisement, and of course music. Whether through words or music, all these representations produce images, meaning, discourse. Once organized into a discourse, language creates categories and perceptions that make it possible for individuals to think of themselves as subject, even as political subjects. These systems of meaning or discourse create ideas that eventually get formalized into ideologies. The question is, who has access to these types of discourses? The issue of access is essential since these discourses influence decision-making processes. While the process of investigating and finding solutions is important, we shouldn't stop there. Equally crucial is how we collectively decide on which questions are legitimate to ask. Clearly, language not only generates ideologies, but structures politics as well. And here, language structures bring us to a fascinating intersection, one that reveals power structures. Power. It's a scary word, but should it be? When most of us think of power, we think of authority, of force, of imposition. Words like abuse, influence come to mind. But here we would like to introduce another way of looking at power. 
one that does not see it as necessarily a good or bad thing, but rather as something that's always already there. Power is as human as the blood in our veins. We cannot exist without it. And let us use this very metaphor to introduce what we call the capillary view of power. Power is not some grandiose thing that is implied from the top down. Rather, it is something that we can find in the smallest areas of our lives. In fact, it even governs our bodies. And just like the blood in our veins, we can find it in the smallest of places. It is diffused rather than concentrated, embodied rather than possessed, discursive rather than coercive. It constitutes us into the very individuals that we are. So let us delve a little deeper by looking at three aspects of power. Power is instrumental in creating what we call non-decisions. It is a means by which demands for change can be suffocated before they're even voiced. Second, there is what we call normalization. We can say that A has power over B when A prevents B from knowing, hearing about, noticing any potential conflicts of interest. And when A makes its own system of beliefs seem the only natural one. In fact, which results in B following with consent what seems to be as natural or common sense. Third, we can talk about systemic power. In that sense, we can say that A has power over B by influencing or determining her or his very beliefs, attitudes, and wants. In sum, the biggest trick of power may be to make its own existence unseen. Language and power shape our vision, our representation of the world. They also give us the tools to invent ourselves differently as a strategy to accept, to channel, to become other. The very notion of becoming, of storytelling, necessitates language. It also necessitates discipline and work on the self in order to harness that transformative energy. One of the seats of that transformative experience is, of course, school. Indeed, there is a physicality to learning. Sitting at the library for hours, researching a paper, writing, twisting words, forging sentences the way one would rot iron. Clearly, there is a discipline to education and schooling that involves both mind and body. This discipline, Foucault would say, is precisely what allows us as individuals to negotiate the tensions we encounter in our inevitable confrontation to the power of normativity. For instance, how do I belong to a group while at the same time retaining my very individuality? The tension also stems from the fact that schooling implies not just learning, but also an unlearning of who we are through our confrontation with language and with others, all of which transforms our being. This experience, depending on where we come from, on issues of socioeconomics, of race, of gender, etc., can be felt as a form of exile. Indeed, how can one belong to multiple words at once? In this transformative space that we call school, it is easy to feel as if we don't belong, to feel as an external entity to the word of knowledge that suddenly feels so foreign. In the process, though, we learned that all these things that we thought were common sense, that went without saying, things that appeared natural, 
are in fact consequences of specific language and cultural constructions, which have been shaped through power dynamics, which have been integrated through instances of education. Of course, we are fully conscious that as educators, we are part of this power dynamic. We play a role in this power dynamic. And our goal must always be to render the invisible clearly visible. Along with Foucault, we believe that wherever there is power, there is resistance. And the first step in resisting something is through becoming conscious that it's even there. Let's conclude then with the words of thinker, militant, and critic of the educational system, Paolo Freire, who writes in his work, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, that, quote, there is no such thing as neutral education. Education either functions as an instrument to bring about conformity, or freedom. Questioning, resisting, visibilizing, empowering. These are the actions, these are the words that make us human. human.